if if that song, if that doesn't prick your heart a little bit, if it doesn't cause some goosebumps to go up and down your arm, but doesn't make you long for that day, then you may want to do a quick spiritual evaluation of your own personal life. I do look forward to that day, Rainbow. And I look very forward to being in heaven with every one of you. This thing that we call the family of God is not something that is just a term that we flippantly use here on earth. It is the reality. It is a God-given reality that we are a part of the family of God. You know, we began a sermon series last week uh, about how Satan tries so desperately to fool us. And, and he, he does a lot to deceive us. And he does a lot to lead us away. And the reason he wants to lead us away, well, one of many, he doesn't want you or me to enjoy that eternal home that we just sang about. He's not there. He doesn't want you to be there. Like the old saying, misery loves company. And so if He can do anything in His power, albeit limited, like we mentioned last week, His power amounts to however much power we as individuals give Him. But that power is still very real. And so often we will listen to Him, we'll listen to His lies, we'll be deceived, we'll be fooled, We'll be led astray and ultimately miss out on that eternal home that we just sang about, that we sang about several times this morning. We looked last week at how Peter had described Satan as that roaring lion who is always on the prowl, how he is seeking someone to devour. That's not a physical being he's looking to devour. He wants to devour your soul. That's what he wants. He wants to tempt you in such a way, He wants to tempt me in such a way that we put our guard down and He is able to devour us. He is able to destroy us and walk away with our lifeless being in His mouth. We're His prey. He's ever stalking us. Which, by the way, if you don't think Satan is stalking you, there's a pretty good chance He's already got you. And that may be the reason you don't feel so attacked by Him. He may already have you exactly where He wants you. But that's something for you to decide. We also went over to Revelation chapter 12 there in verse 9, and we saw how Satan was described as what? As the deceiver of the whole world. That's what he does. He lies, he cheats, he steals. He does everything and anything that he can to deceive the entire world. And that includes us. <laughs> and he does everything within his power, again, to fool us. One of the lies that he is so good at spreading is that it doesn't matter who I spend time with. That's a very deceptive lie. A very subtle lie. A very effective lie. 
And, and if for one moment you sit here or maybe tuning in online and, and as an adult, if your mind just went, oh, I'm so glad he's about to talk about this because those young people need to hear this, then you're believing another lie of Satan. This is not a matter of age. The people that we choose to spend time with, regardless if we're teenagers or in the final years of our life, those are the people that are going to have the strongest impact on our life. I know it's easy for us in our minds to begin to tell ourselves, you know, they're not that bad. Our friends, they're really not that bad. I know they're not perfect, but they're not horrible people. They don't go around like killing folks, right? And I really believe in my heart of hearts, I believe that I can really pull them up, you know. I can help them. They could never pull me down. They, they, they could never be a negative influence on me. I know right from wrong. I'm stronger than that. And then one day, one day almost without realizing it, we go, wait a minute. I'm talking the way they talk. I'm dressing the way they dress. I'm acting the way they act. I'm even thinking the way they think. And I thought, I thought I could pull them up. But the reality is they pulled me down. The friends that we have in this life, those closest to us, they will have a greater impact on who we are than any other relationship on this earth. Our friends, our friends will either lead us closer to God or they'll lead us further and further away from God. Our friends will either lift us up or they will take us down. But again, we, we hear the lies of Satan and we believe him. We really think that we can change them and that they would never change us. That, that we would never give in to those things. We're stronger than that. We're better than that. A little bit of self-righteous temptation there, don't you think? When we actually begin to think we are above <laughs> ever falling. That we are above ever being negatively influenced by the world. No. That's why as Britain read for us a few moments ago, 1 Corinthians 15.33, a, a verse that I know you know very well. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. The proverb writer would say in Proverbs 13 and verse 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Satan does his very best to deceive us. He lies through us. He wants to fool us. He wants to look at words such as these and say, you know what? I just don't think that's true. I, I mean, I appreciate what it's saying, but I just don't think that I'm ever going to fall victim to the greater influence of my friends. I, I still think that I can, I can lift them up. That's why it becomes so important to choose who you surround yourself very, very wisely. Because again, they will either lift you up or they will pull you down. 
So as we're thinking about the people that we choose to spend the most time with, the the closest friendships that we have in this life, let's ask ourselves a a couple of very pointed questions. First of all is this, do the people in your life have true faith in Jesus Christ? Do those friends, those people that are closest to you in your friend circle, do they have a true faith in Jesus? Now it could be right here, you go, hold on now, hold on a minute, hold on, pause, button, Blake. I thought that what we were supposed to be doing as children of God were we were supposed to be continuing to fulfill the Great Commission. And that we were supposed to be going out into this lost and dying world and sharing the Gospel of Christ with them. Yes, there is no doubt about it. As a matter of fact, God so loves this this world of ours that He would allow His Son to come down to this earth, live a sinless life, and then to die a, a perfect sacrifice where both sin and death were defeated and where then this, this gap was bridged between man and God so that man could have a right relationship with God again. And this good news, this gospel then, we are to continue to share that. And there is no doubt that one of the best ways to share that gospel with those around you is to make relationships with people who don't know God so that you can be an example, so that you can teach them these things. However, when it comes to those closest to you, those that you allow, you know, you let your guard down with, those that you're vulnerable with, you need to make sure, I think, that we follow an example that Jesus set for us. It's so important to have people of faith around you. Jesus was constantly going about doing good for other people, right? Yes. Jesus was loving other folks. Jesus was telling people about the coming of the kingdom of God. He was telling people He was the Son of God. He was doing miraculous things to prove that He was who He said He was. All of that is so true. But when it came to those closest to Him, His closest circle of people while He was doing ministry here on earth, it was a relatively small group of people. It wasn't everyone that he came into contact with. It wasn't everyone he was trying to do good for. And the reason that those who were in that smaller circle were there is because even before they met him, many of them were people of faith. Many of them already had a heart for God and for the ways of the Lord. That's why they were chosen. And even when He began to send them out into this world to fulfill that great commission, notice He didn't send them alone. Mark 6 and verse 7 says, And Jesus called to Him the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Doing ministry in this world while battling Satan and all the temptations that He has to throw us is a very dangerous thing to do. We need to surround ourselves with people of true faith. People who will strengthen us. People who will encourage us. People who will influence us to live a stronger life for Christ. And you see, Jesus knew that we would need relationships such as this in our life from day to day. That's why He gave us this. 
He gave us this family of God. He gave us this community of believers. He gave us this thing called the body of Christ, which is His church. He gave us this, not because it is a building for us to come worship in from Sunday to Sunday. The church has always been the called out. The church has always been the people. The people who love Jesus. The people who are willing to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. The people who want to obey Jesus. And the people who want to love one another. And we laugh together, and we cry together, and we encourage one another to continue to live a life that is faithful to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 14 says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with the darkness? When it comes to our own personal, spiritual well-being, we've got to make sure that we're choosing those friendships closest to us. That they are people who believe in and who behave as those who would align themselves with the teaching and the example of Jesus. We all need that support around us. It is absolutely essential. Another question I think we need to ask is, are the people in your personal life passionate about the things of God? Sadly, there are a lot of people who would claim to have faith in Jesus. But when it comes to the work of the Lord, they have zero, let me repeat, they have zero passion for the things of God. Sure, they may come to the occasional worship service. Oh, but you can tell how distracted they are. And that they can't wait to get out of here to get on with the rest of the to-do list today. I mean, sure, they can answer the occasional Bible question that you may have, but you very rarely actually hear them in one-on-one -on -one conversation talking about the God or talking about the ways of the Lord, talking about the work of the church and their involvement in these things. You just, you just don't hear it. They may even drop a, a check in the blue bucket there in the hallway on their way in or out. But whenever it comes to them actually taking an active part in some ministry here at church, well, there's always an excuse. There, there's always some reason why they can't do what God has called them to do. They're really nice. Pretty moral people. Their spiritual temperature. It's not hot. It's not cold. It's kind of somewhere there in the middle. It's warm. It's... It's what Jesus would call lukewarm. And if I may be so bold, church, after over 20 years in ministry, I have decided that the lukewarm among us, they're worse for us than even surrounding ourselves with those who don't have any faith in Jesus to begin with. When we surround ourselves with those among us who are lukewarm, we feel comfortable. We, we start to think that it's okay because they're sitting in a pew just like I'm sitting in a pew. But it doesn't take very long before their lukewarmness, it really begins to impact us in a very negative way. We start to lose our personal fire. We start to lose our personal zeal. We, we start to lose our, our involvement in the work of the church. Why? 
Well, because they don't. And we think that's going to be a good enough reason for us not to. Once again, we've allowed them to influence us far more than we may have ever hoped to influence them. And they have pulled us down instead of us pulling them up. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 15, I know your deeds. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. I'm going to let the wording of that sink in just for a moment. Jesus is speaking to the church at Laodicea here. He says, church, I see what you're doing, or actually I see what you're not doing. You're not really on fire for God, but you're there. (sighs) You're lukewarm. You're going through the motions. You're checking your box just to check your box. And that makes Jesus sick. Did, Did you hear that? That's not my words. Those are the words of Jesus. He says, because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will, I believe the old King James said, spew you. That sounded a little bit prettier. Other translations say, I will spit you but getting right down to the crux of the matter, Jesus is saying, I will vomit you out of my mouth. You, your lukewarmness, it makes Jesus sick. So examine your own life. If in your heart of hearts, if you know if you know that for whatever the reason, you've just been going through the motions of Christianity, you've just been checking the box, that your relationship with Jesus isn't real, that your relationship with the church isn't what it should be, that your activity and being involved in the work of the church and that ongoing things that bring glory to God, if that's not there the way it should be, and you know in your heart of hearts you are lukewarm, then I would encourage you to confess it to God today because He already knows and to repent before it is everlasting too late. There's another question when it comes to those friends. Do the people in your life hold Scripture to highest regard? I think there are a lot of people, a lot of Christians, a lot of people in the world even, they appreciate the Bible. They, they appreciate the Bible very much. But, but they're just as quick to make any and every decision of, in daily life about something someone else in life has said to them or that they've heard someone else say. And now listen, you can find truth in a lot of places. You can. You can find truth in psychology and in philosophy. You can find truth in science and the arts. I mean, there are all kinds of places where truth can be found As a matter of fact, as Paul is writing here in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33, he's quoting a Greek playwright by the name of Menander. And so here, even in the the Holy Word, you have the Apostle Paul pulling from some wisdom from Menander. Now, why would the Holy Spirit allow him to quote Menander? Because obviously what Menander said was a reflection of God's truth. In the same way, maybe there's an entertainer in our world today. An entertainer who would be bold enough to say, Jesus is King. Well, that's truth. 
not because the entertainer said it. It's God's truth. And God's truth is always going to be God's truth. He is the author of truth. Anything that is true is God's truth. But what this also means, what this also means is God is not only the author of truth, He is the final authority when it comes to what truth is. And as we search for truth, that authority is found in one place only. It's found in the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3 says, beginning of verse 16, All Scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Our closest relationships, they should consist of people who as we face life, whatever life throws at us, they should be people who actively point us back to the Word of God. In all matters. Whether it's identity, or, or purpose, or financial, or sexuality. I mean, you name it. You name the things we face in this life. Are we surrounded by people who will point us back to the one truth? And try to uphold us to that truth. Now sometimes, people will come along and they'll try to misuse truth. Right? Sometimes people will warp truth. Sometimes uh, people will use truth in an attempt to fit whatever their personal agenda is. Sometimes we may find ourselves questioning, how do I know? How do I know what they're saying about the Word of God is true? Because so often in this world we will run into people who look good, sound good, uh, they're funny, they're intelligent, they're charming, they are oftentimes presenting themselves as very spiritual people. How do we know if what they're saying in regards to the Word of God is truth? Man, there's so much more about that that I could say than what really time will allow me this morning. But let me say this. If you ever question somebody's agenda, if you ever question whether or not truth is truth, look to Jesus. For you see, Scripture reveals truth to us, but Jesus is truth, okay? So we always have to remember Jesus is truth. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then there was a time earlier in John when Jesus actually told the Pharisees that the, the Scriptures that they were quoting were actually pointing to Him. If you go back to John chapter 5, and verse 39, Jesus said, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them, that's in the Scriptures, you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they, that's the Scriptures, it is they that bear witness about me. So if you ever question whether or not someone is, is misusing or abusing a Scripture, look to Jesus. Look to His teachings. Look to His example. Weigh that out. Weigh that out with what they're saying. And you'll find your answer. Will the people in your life tell the truth? This will be the last question. The lesson will be yours. If you have surrounded yourself with people who always tell you what you want to hear, you need new people. You just do. All of us do. All of us need people in our life who will be honest with us about our bad attitudes and about our sinful behaviors 
and at times just about our stinking thinking, right? Like all of us need people in our life who will be honest with us. Sometimes, though, the reason that we don't have more people who seem to be, want to be honest with us, it may be a, a you problem instead of a them problem. Could be that in the past, anytime somebody came to you with the truth, you blew up in anger! Or you pouted like an old wet dog. Because the truth does hurt. But because of those reactions, it causes the very people who might actually love you enough to be truthful with you to not want to continue to be truthful with you, to not want to continue to have those conversations with you because you turn those conversations into confrontations and they go, hmm, I'm just tired of trying. I'm just tired of trying to tell them the truth that they need to hear. But you know, if you have a spouse who loves you enough, if you have parents who love you enough, if you have friends who love you enough to be truthful with you and to tell you those hard truths when you need to hear them, our heart has to be open to them. But the devil doesn't want our heart to be open to them. <laughs> so he comes in as quickly as he can, and in those moments, even if our heart may be convicted for a moment, he starts whispering in our ear, and he starts saying things like, you know what, you know what it is. They're jealous of you. That's all it is. They're, they're just, they just want to hurt you. They just want to control you. They just want to keep you from living your life. And we go, oh, you know, you're right. You're right. It's not because they love me. It's because they're against me. And that's never usually the case. Somebody who truly loves you enough to tell a hard truth to you, they don't, they don't say it to hurt you or to manipulate you or to control you. Someone who really loves you enough to share a hard truth with you, it's because they just want to see you be the very best you that you can be. That's all. And if you really want to be the person God has called you to be, if you really want to be able to be the very best you that you can be, Maybe you take the initiative. Maybe you invite some godly person or persons into your life with the understanding of, I want you to speak those truths to me when I need to hear them. Because what I have found through the years is that typically the folks who are the quickest to say, now Blake, you ever see me do anything I shouldn't? Brother, I want you to tell me. They've kind of been liars because they really haven't meant it. Because when I said, you remember that time you said, well, look, here's something. And they go, woo! <laughs> Sometimes I think that, that conversation should be like given in writing, you know, like a contract or something. Say, look, here's where you said <laughs> if I ever saw anything. And here's where I'm saying if you ever see anything, then, then we should have the love that should be between us. The relationship should be there. That we should be able to speak, speak freely. Love and the truth. Not because we're trying to hurt, not because we're trying to sow discord, but because we're actually trying to help without it bringing about a completely unnecessary confrontation. Do you have people in your life who tell you the truth?
Alright, so here's the thing. Like I said before, Satan is really good at what he does. And uh, a lot of times when people reference 1 Corinthians 15.33 here, I don't know why, but it does seem to be used more in teen classes than even in a sermon. Or it seems to be directed at children. And it's an important lesson for children to learn. Somewhere along the way as adults, we obviously forget it. Uh, We obviously forget how dangerous it is, what the actual outcome can be, when we don't surround ourselves with like-minded people. It's a whole lot easier to be pulled down than to ever pull somebody up. That's the reality of life. Maybe unfair. Maybe. But that's just how it is. And any of us who have ever at some point in our life found ourselves in that very position where we came to that understanding that those that we love the most were actually we were allowing them to pull us down. Those are hard moments. Those are moments where sometimes we have to make some very hard decisions. Those are moments sometimes where we find ourselves, no matter our age, looking for better friends so that we can surround ourselves with people who are more kindred in spirit. So that we can find people who will support us and love us and uplift us rather than pulling us down. And if by chance you find yourself in that position today, maybe the realization that maybe you do need some new friends. Maybe you do need to surround yourself with people that are a little more positive, more Christ-like. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. But it is the absolute best thing. Because again, don't get so so full of yourself. That's really what it is. Don't get so prideful that you think you can fix them. That you think you can pull them up. That you think that there is no way they will ever endanger you and your spiritual life. Because that's what Satan wants you to believe. It's exactly what he wants you to believe. Maybe you're here today and there's some issue going on in your life. Maybe it's a sin struggle. Maybe it's a health problem. I don't know what it is, but I know you know what it is. Maybe you look around you right now and you know one of the things that your life has been missing is this. The the, the fellowship that comes with community, that comes with family. And maybe on a day like today, you want to share with a church You want to share with the family of God whatever it is that you're struggling with so that you know you're not alone in those struggles anymore. So that you know that you'll be lifted before the very throne of God by godly people. And you know that you'll be surrounded by people who love you and who care about you and who want to lift you up. They don't want to tear you down. We can help you with this or any needs you might have. Won't you come as we stand and sing?